Hi everyone, this is Mo Bendari from Orthopod, and uh, I have a really, really special opportunity to chat with someone, a longtime friend and colleague, and someone who's known to virtually every orthopedic surgeon in the planet. But I'll, I'll go through the effort of giving you a brief introduction of uh, friend and colleague Jay Parvizi, who is the James Edward Professor and Chair of Orthopedic Surgery at Thomas Jefferson University, um, and also is a Director of Research at the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. And Dr. Pravizi has done quite a bit of work uh, in many, many areas. I think many of us know him for his um, um, tremendous uh, trailblazing work on infections and, and total joint arthroplasty in particular. But what he's done is he's taken this really large network of collaborative surgeons and put together a document which is coming out today. And this document is broadly labeled, um, as I understand it, resuming orthopedic elective surgery and guidelines and processes for coming forward. So Dr. Pravizi, Jay, how are you? Great, Mo. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for that uh, flattering introduction. Really a pleasure to see each other over the uh, internet. Hopefully we'll get to talk face to face. I know. Uh, it seems, it seems, like, it seems like forever that we saw, I think we saw each other last at CCOT in Oman. I know yes. you were busy, busy, but uh, yeah. anyways, um, great to have you on. Tell me a little bit about how this large collaborative uh, came to be and how this document that's coming out today um, ultimately found its uh, wings. Sure. As you know, international consensus meeting is something my friend and I, Thorsten Gerke, we put together. We had an initial meeting in 2013, then a repeat meeting in 2018. It brings together hundreds of experts, mostly orthopedic surgeons with interest in infections, scientists, uh, infectious disease specialists, microbiologists, veterinary surgeons, anesthesiologists. It's a multidisciplinary team. Our work was to do with orthopedic infections. And then recently I've had a few people express interest, in particular Dr. Lowry Barnes, the president of AAHKS, reached out to me saying, why, do, why don't we energize or act, engage the same group to come up with a document that would be hopefully a roadmap for us to know what to do when elective arthroplasty or elective orthopedic mm -hmm. procedures resume. So that was the impetus, and that uh, energized us to bring together around 80 members of the 900 or so group of ICM. We reached out to people who've actually either written or have done some work related to COVID-19, came from countries where there's a high prevalence of COVID and hence they've been the front line dealing with the issues during the lockdown, dealing with emergency uh, cases, and also people uh, who expressed interest in being part of this group. Uh, so we got around 80 members of the group. We went through similar type of activity that ICM did, come up with the questions, then uh, review the literature, available evidence, come up with a response or a recommendation, then have the uh, delegates look at the responses again and re-vote. So following the Delphi method, and that the document that you see today is the result of work of 80 member group that uh, brought this together. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very impressive. And when you look through it, you can just start getting a sense of just how much we know, which is great, but also how much we don't know. What for you have been some of the big messages that have come out of this process? Yeah, the difference between countries with high prevalence and low prevalence was really very uh, tactile in this whole process. 
and places like New York, for example, or even Philadelphia, we have quite a quite a lot of right. cases. We were a little bit more conservative in terms of our recommendations of you know universal screening of all elective procedures, mm-hmm. uh, the N95 masks, the PPEs when we're dealing with them, etc. Whereas in the low prevalent areas, including places like Hamburg or other areas where they don't see as much, yeah. not so uh, strict in terms of the approach. So that was one thing that was very uh, obvious. And the second, I think you bring up a very good point, Mo, in that we are all sort of very new to this game. We have not seen a pandemic before, at least no. not as no. broad as what, what we've experienced now. And there's a lot of unknowns. The unknowns are, you know, how do we know that people have contracted it? Are there uh, mm-hmm. tests we could use to determine if patients have developed immunity? How long does the immunity last? Is there cross-reactivity with other COVID beta coronaviruses that cause common cold, for example? Do we really need to be wearing N95 masks if the patients have tested negative uh, for the test? In other words, what is the sensitivity of the RT-PCR? As you can see, there's a lot of unknowns. But overall, this provides a roadmap on knowing what we all need to do when we start elective artoplasty in the middle of the pandemic. And as more data emerges, we will update the document uh, uh, on the website. Oh, that's superb. And you know, when you look back at this relative backlog of patients, I mean, and the document goes into a lot of depth about you know how we're supposed to think about things and ultimately, how are we gonna triage patients, you know, and, and it gets back to this, and I suspect you put a lot of thought into this, which is there's the, there's the, there's the reopening of, of surgery to some degree. And within that, there's still going to be, you know, it's a phased reopening. Reality, it's a phased reopening, which means there's going to be pockets of available operating time. How do you decide whether you take the person who's been waiting, the, the new person, the person who's had a complication from a delay? There's going to be all these, like there's going to be this milieu of people suddenly just, coming in. And I think, quite frankly, the second wave we should worry about health capacity is probably unlikely a second COVID wave. It's going to be this absolute wave that's going to overwhelm the healthcare system on all these patients who have been deferred. And I wonder, you know, how do you how do you begin to address that broadly? And I'm, I'm not expecting you've got all the answers, but I'm curious. I'm sure you've, you've done a thinking on this. I, I agree with you 100%. And that's why that's one of the questions, in fact, yeah asks what type of patient should be operated on during the first phase uh, when the elective uh, orthopedic surgery resumes. So patients who are not going to require intensive care unit, patients who are at risk of contracting COVID-19 shouldn't be operated on. Uh, With the elective uh, arthroplasty, for example, we're limiting the group of patients who have been functionally uh, really disabled, but yet they are healthier patients. And institutions that uh, have overwhelmed intensive care units, for example, they don't have beds available, and there is the possibility that uh, some of these uh, step-down units, for example, won't be available either, shouldn't be aggressively resuming elective uh, surgery. So your point is a very valid one. We are not done with pandemic. We're just beginning to get back and put our foot in the water, and to do so, First, we need to limit the number of cases per day. And instead of doing six or eight cases that you used to do pre-COVID, perhaps limit that to half. Limit the surgery to those that are healthy and fit that bill. And the document very nicely outlines who we think are candidates at this point. 
Don't operate on patients who are going to need intensive care unit. Don't do cases that's going to require admission to ICU afterwards. And gradually, as we see the pandemic sort of slow down, then you can go from phase one to phase two. Very valid point and extremely important one. So, so Jake, how does someone use this document? So you've referred to the document, and I understand that, the, that you've published through the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery a summary of the document, and, then you, and we're going to be at OrthoEvidence hosting the larger, more uh, detailed, um, you know, detailed protocols that weren't necessarily uh, allowable due to space considerations in, in the journal, which totally makes sense. How does someone use this information uh, for day-to-day practice? So what do you recommend they do? There's these two documents, there's this bigger document. How do you want them to use it? So you can look at the JVJS document, very comprehensive. It asks the question, responds, gives you the recommendation, and tells you how many uh, delegates agreed with that particular recommendation or response. But if you want to see how we came up with that recommendation, what the the literature base was, and the evidence that supports such recommendation, or response, then you have to go to ortho evidence to deep diver, uh, to, to dive uh, deeper yeah. into this document. Yeah. So I would use that as the uh, sort of the initial, almost yeah. like an abstract. But if you want to read the full paper, then you should go to ortho evidence. No, that's great. Um, and we'll do everything we can to make sure that you know we get the best information out because you know, there's so much noise, and you know more than anything else that the epidemic has had an info epidemic of just lots and lots of information out there. And we're trying our best, and I know you are too, uh, working with networks to get uh, you know high quality information that's hopefully signal uh, to help people make uh, big changes. Let me ask you at a as a final point, if I could, and we'll, and we'd love to get you back anytime. So we'll do that, and we'll get updates and you know with you as as we roll out this uh, this information. But what for you has been the big learning points? You know, as you work through you know trying to. I mean, whether it's this document or just generally the COVID pandemic uh, in general, there's been so many narratives out there. Um, you're yeah. a very, very thoughtful uh, individual. So I, I'm curious about what your reflection has been uh, during this uh, period and what it means for the future. Oh, clearly, it's been a very trying time. What has absolutely amazed me, but not surprised me, is how united we are in our approach to this problem together. By us, I mean the orthopedic community, or in particular, of course, the medical community. How selfless and sacrificing our professionals have been in terms of getting themselves out there and helping everybody out. Uh, and, and the fear of contracting the disease and losing your life has not been one of those. I have personally at least 12 orthopedic surgeons I know that have contracted the, the uh, infection during their line of uh, service. But most importantly, when we put this document together, again, I came to recognize how unbelievably committed and dedicated our profession is in trying to do what is right for our patients. Our personal opinions, our personal preferences, all of those were put aside. And one mission uh, trumped the whole thing, and that was to come up with a document that will help our patients keep them safe as we move forward to try to get rid of their pain and bring them back to function. And that was unbelievably uh, heartwarming and gratifying process that I was involved with. And Mo, you've done this so many times and you know this better than anybody. I know you are the most committed to evidence. And, and the amazing thing is that our, our colleagues, partners, and friends are prepared to change their mind when they see evidence. Their personal feelings and personal preferences are put aside 
when evidence emerges. And that was very clear in the, throughout this process. But I think we should be proud of our profession. We have been exemplary in this uh, very trying and challenging times. And it's brought our profession, our society together. We've become stronger. Um, and one thing that's very important, at times like this, it's very important for us to go after fact and not the tantalizing media or the fiction that gets disseminated through channels that are not important. That's why we applaud you for having that channel of communication through Orto Evidence. I seek and look at everything that I want to do in my, my uh, particular career. And we have the, the reliable channel of information such as Orto Evidence, important for us, for our patients, and for our colleagues to rely on facts during these times and to try to gain, uh, uh, get a good sight of as much evidence uh, uh, that, as they can. And as that emerges, our practices in the future is most likely going to be impacted. And on that note, I couldn't say it any better, so I won't. I won't even try. Um, but I will say thank you, Dr. Pravizi J. And to thank you to the countless surgeons who have worked tireless with you, because I know how hard it is to put together what you did and in, in the speed in which you did it. And a, a great thank you from, I think, our orthopedic community to you and the teams that have been working so hard. We'll do our bit to get this information out. And ultimately, we hope that this is going to make a big impact uh, in the care of patients worldwide. Thank you, Dr. Ravizi. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mo.